1: Miss the show? No worries on pointing on this podcast. Canadians take to the streets and highways to protest, and while they'll be written off as radical or anti-vaxxers, it doesn't tell the whole story. Anger is on the rise in this country, and vaccine mandates may be the catalyst for some, but you take these truck convoys, for instance. They've been, you know, evolved into a swell of anger against government overreach that has led to an erosion of our rights, and angered people who look at this and say main streets and people's lives have been left in tatters. So we'll speak to one of the thousands of uh, people traveling with the convoys, and she'll give us an idea of what is actually driving this anger. A new polling by Ipsos done for Global News seems to confirm what is driving this anger, and that is Canadians are losing patience with all the draconian lockdowns that have gotten us nowhere and have such a huge cost on our lives. And we'll talk about the situation in Ukraine. NATO countries are telling diplomats and their families to get out of the country as it expects Russia to attack imminently. The Prime Minister is refusing to say if Canada is following suit or what plans we have to help Ukraine. A lot of people ask, you know, what can Canada actually do and why should we get involved? We'll speak with someone who has decades of military experience about why we must stand with Ukraine, fight for this democracy, and what, in fact, Canada can actually do. Let's get talking. This
0: is On Point with Alex Pearson.
1: Across Canada to stop this tyranny and
2: the government doing what they're doing to people in this country
1: you may not see the anger it does not mean it does not exist Alex Pearson with you on this Monday January 24th and uh, here we go into a new week and I hope you had a great weekend there is a divide in this country that is uniting people in the very worst ways and that is through anger And I don't know what's going on, but either those in charge don't care or refuse to see it, but they all need to start reading the room and stop playing politics with this pandemic. And on Saturday, uh, the communications director for the prime minister, a guy named Alex Wellstead, tweeted out a picture of his grocery store in Ottawa, where he showed off an abundance, a pile of fresh fruits and veggies. His caption, quote, just terrible. This is the third grocery store I've been to this week that's been empty, end quote. Isn't it nice he's got so many choices, right? Many people do not. His point was to mock those concerned about increasing food shortages and to take a partisan shot at conservatives who have been going after Trudeau's vaccine mandate on truckers up, you know, as the cause. It is not the total cause of these shortages, but it will absolutely make supply chain issues worse. I just felt that the tweet spoke volumes about the bubble that a lot of our decision makers live in versus what real Canadians face across this country these days. And Wellstead was mocking the issue to deflect from the vaccine mandates, which, if it backfires, will be parked directly at his boss's feet. But the Conservatives did not help themselves by using stock photos showing empty shelves that weren't even taken in Canada. I mean, if you're going to attack, you've got to be Right. But in weaponizing this issue, as has become the normal practice in this crisis, ignores the reality a lot of people are facing right now and who are seeing empty shelves. Many in remote areas that aren't getting fruits and vegetables just days into this vaccine mandate on truckers. Now, the tweet was eventually deleted because it was completely tone deaf. Just because those in big urban centres like Toronto or Ottawa have an abundance of food does not mean other jurisdictions have the same situation. Believe me, it is only a matter of time now before these shortages start to hit bigger cities and prices soar. But the tweet also came in the same week where inflation hits a 30-year high and the release of a poll suggesting 57% of Canadians are struggling to get food on the table. So for a guy who makes a healthy six-figure salary... Food insecurity clearly isn't an issue for him, but Mr. Wells said, and the and the rest of the political class need to park their politics and start reading the room, because people in this country are indeed struggling, and on top of that, Canadians are exhausted. We've been digging for two years, and there's still no light at the end of this tunnel, despite the fact that 90% of us did exactly what was asked and got vaccinated. And so this pandemic has gone from, you know, we're all in this together, to this political game of weaponizing policies that serve to distract us from the failures of our politicians. And this vaccine mandate, which stops truckers from crossing borders, it's not a database policy, not on this side of the border or the United States. It will do nothing to improve our safety or end the pandemic. But it will absolutely cause chaos to supply chains and push prices higher. And on Friday, Canada's Public Health Deputy Chief Epidemiologist stated, he stated, they don't recommend mandating vaccines, that it should only be a, a voluntary matter and done through encouragement. So if Canada's Public Health isn't suggesting vaccine mandates, why is it being done? Well, politics, of course. But it is this kind of politics that's fueling anger in growing numbers of Canadians who are exhausted and fed up with the never-ending fear-mongering and giving up freedoms with very little justification by the politicians doing it, and even less results. And a couple of new polls came out that I think should serve as a wake-up call to the decision-makers. Angus Reid reveals in one poll that a large number of Canadians are tired, frustrated, and anxious, 36% of Canadians struggle now with their mental health. And then polling by Ipsos, done for Global News, reveals that our tolerance to lockdowns has also slid substantially. It's down to 52% from 70% in July. And there were massive protests all over this country this weekend. Thousands of shut down streets in Toronto pushing against politicians who they believe have become way, way too comfortable with taking our freedoms because they can't do their job. It didn't get a lot of attention, but... It should. Critics can push these people off and brush them as, you know, anti-vax radicals. Well, they aren't. And when you get tens of thousands of people taking to Canadian streets, I think we ignore their anger at our own peril. We're seeing the same kind of rhetoric uh, being said about the tens of thousands of truckers now driving convoys across Canada, where they're headed to Ottawa, and they plan to park their rigs on January 29th. And you're going to see a lot of people malign them as, you know, crazy anti-vaxxers. But again, this does not accurately tell the story. I mean, sure, it may have started with some truck drivers pushing back against vaccine mandates, but this convoy is now drawing in Canadians from all backgrounds who are fed up with government overreach that they blame for leaving small businesses in tatters, livelihoods destroyed, and have our children living in a state of apocalyptic fear. 47,000 Canadians have now donated $3.6 million to this grassroots protest in a matter of days. That can't be ignored. They're not all fueled by, you know, vaccine mandates. These are everyday Canadians who are absolutely frustrated that two years into this crisis, very little's improved. But boy, oh boy, has life in this country gotten a whole lot worse. And today, you know, Justin Trudeau was asked about this and he chalked it up to, You know, supply chain concerns and truck convoys is just fear-mongering by conservative. Except for it's not just conservatives who are sounding the alarms. Economists and supply chain experts have all been saying for weeks that doubling down on this mandate is a mistake we're all going to pay for. Trudeau doesn't care. This government is all too happy to use truck drivers as political punching bags, but what they don't seem to realize is that they're maligning an entire industry— that put its backside on the line for two years to keep our economy running when no one in charge gave one thought to their safety. Not once were truckers tested or quarantined. It's only now when we reach the endemic stage that apparently they must be vaccinated for all our safety. And I'll bet a dollar that by the time this convoy arrives in Ottawa, they'll be painted far beyond racist and misogynist. They'll be turned into a threat to our national security. Politicians have got to stop weaponizing this crisis. Because the anger we are seeing goes far beyond truck drivers. And sure, there'll be crazies in the group. There is never a protest where a loon does not show up. This is not a left or right thing. You'll always get radicals at a protest. But mocking them or ignoring those who struggle is fueling a division that we're all going to end up paying for. It's a
0: bigger thing for me. I support my vets. I honor them. They fought for our freedom. So now it's our turn to turn around and fight and make them proud.
1: All righty, there you go. It may have started with a vaccine mandate, but these massive truck convoys, which are headed to Ottawa from all corners of this country are not really about just vaccines. And unless it's deterred or rerouted by something, tens of thousands of big rigs are expected to arrive in Ottawa January 29th and this is a, a grassroots movement which is pushing back against the mandates and it's you know which have taken thousands of drivers off a road but it's also being fueled by those who are just simply fed up with government overreach and destruction measures that have just decimated small businesses uh, kids you name it the schools it doesn't represent all truck drivers. In fact, some are saying, "Look, don't do the convoys. We'll support you, protesting at Parliament Hill." um But the bottom line is, it can't be ignored. This freedom convoy has now raised three point six million dollars from forty seven thousand donors in just a matter of days. And so, while critics will dismiss, you know, a lot of these uh, drivers as troublemakers, maybe it is time that those in charge start listening to what they're saying. Andy Lee is a freelance journalist. You may know her as Hannah Bananas on um, Twitter. She is joining us now from Calgary. Good to have you.
3: Hi there, Alex. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be here.
1: Thank you for joining me. I have been watching, you know, your journey. You have been kind of uh, hooking up with these convoys um, involved in kind of seeing how they're moving and and what's going on. Can you give us a bit of a bird's eye view as to how this is getting organized? These trucks are coming in from the East Coast, West Coast, uh, obviously in Alberta. They're kind of coming together everywhere and then just jumping on on the highway.
3: Yeah, I mean, they, they had a core route that they were doing. Of course, nothing always goes perfectly when you're on the road. Uh, So, you know, they have a main channel that they uh, communicate through uh, to try to coordinate uh, meetups. And there's always sort of groups that are coming in. uh, And, you know, they also gain supporters along the way that travel with them for a period of time and and then drop off. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see. So I was at Calgary and we met up with the Edmonton
1: leg that was coming in from Vancouver last night. And so what is, I mean, this started out as a protest against the truck, um, you know, the vaccine mandates. But I don't I don't get the sense that this is about mandates anymore. I get the sense that this is much bigger now.
3: Yeah, it, it really is. I don't think at this point it matters even if the mandates are, are dropped. Um, these, you know, truckers are very much committed to this cause. Uh, you know, they want to see all the businesses fully reopened. They want to see no more school closures. Uh, they don't want to see any more lockdowns. They don't want to see, you know, children being masked every day. So it, it really has grown and sort of evolved from, you know, the initial protest into something much bigger, um, you know, and they've grown a very large audience, uh, a very broad audience, and got a lot of support because of that.
1: And so who is it drawing? Because I, I've seen some um, and listened to some audio, and it's not just truck drivers. I mean, there were artists showing up just saying, hey, look, I just want to support this. So, so it's, I don't get the sense that there is one type. I mean, it's very easy to um, paint those who are involved with this as anti-vaxxers and or you get, you know, the, the kind of usual suspects who, who get all the attention. But I don't, I don't get the sense that you can paint a, a brush, you know, to this crowd.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of people. I'm I'm vaccinated, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But of course, I showed up to to cover them and support them. Uh, So there's there's a mix of vaccinated people and unvaccinated people. Um, When you go on the radio, there's a lot of families phoning in with children who are thanking them for you know doing this for their children, for schools. Today, we actually drove by a school, and there were kids out the playground with their teachers uh, waving. So, you know, that was really nice to see that support. Uh, and there was all sorts who gathered last night. You know, there was hundreds of people who gathered in Calgary. There was, uh, you know, a band. There was a drum circle. Uh, mm-hmm. People were giving... Mm-hmm. People were giving sermons. And, uh, you know, I even... When I came in this morning... Sorry about that. When I came in this morning, you know, I even saw Muslims praying. So... Mm-hmm. um You know, there's a lot of different people who are coming out, showing the support. You know, it's not just uh, one
1: segment of society. So and uh, we've got, of course, law
3: enforcement as well.
1: Do you? uh, Okay, that's interesting. Do you get the sense that the political class um, out of auto do they understand, um, you know, what's going on? Do they understand what this movement is about?
3: Uh, you know, I, I think that they want to make it. You know, it's yes, it's a couple of truckers who are who are anti-vaxxers. And I mean, realistically speaking, there's about 2,600 people that that this might affect. Uh, these vaccine mm. mandates. That's about the number. Uh, I don't think that they realize. You know, and and a lot of people want to know how many trucks. And I can't even say how many trucks. There's a lot of trucks.
1: Um, I've heard anywhere from 36,000 to 50. I mean, I don't know if that'll go up or down. I guess it depends on if if more join. I mean, I've heard astronomical numbers. Yeah,
3: I mean, I'm expecting a couple of thousand. They're not all big rigs. There's a lot of small trucks as well, and a lot of these truckers have lost their jobs, so they're in pickup trucks, Mm -hmm. right? They don't have their rigs anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that, you know, the key thing is that for every trucker that I saw today, I saw probably a hundred people out supporting them, waving at the side of the road. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the real power behind this movement. It's not just how many trucks show up to Ottawa. I don't think it matters if it's 500 or 5,000. I think that there's going to be thousands and thousands of people who are going to show up and and throw their weight uh, and throw their support behind these, these truckers for doing this. So I think that they're sort of missing the bigger picture, and that's the bigger picture is, you know, it doesn't matter if 500 trucks show up to Ottawa, you're going to get uh, maybe tens of thousands of people who are going to show up right behind them.
1: So in other words, the trucks arrive first, but, you know, we saw uh, over the weekend, as, as you know, there were other protests uh, all over the world, but there were certainly protests here in Canada. I mean, there were thousands of people, uh, people on Toronto streets closing down traffic. It didn't get an awful lot of attention, but certainly I don't think you can ignore those kinds of numbers.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's
1: very hard to or, you know,
3: a big rig uh, sitting in your parking lot as well. I mean, a lot of people saw my footage. Uh, you know, we saw what kind of noise a couple of hundred truckers and, you know, a couple of hundred people can make, uh, you know, park that on Parliament Hill. And it's a totally different story. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think it's important, too, to note that, you know, the truckers right now, they're not protesting actively because they're being vilified. and And a lot of people are saying that they're doing blockades and things like that. That's not what I saw at all um, they're traveling right now from point A to point B uh, you know they're uh, being very cautious on the road there's a lot of space in between the trucks traffic can move very freely in between submerge uh, go on to off ramps so you know they're not actively protesting right now they're driving right now uh, you know so is the
1: golden is is the goal then to, to just drive or is it to slow down traffic? Because we have seen convoys in the past where you'll get, let's say, protests against gas or energy pricing and you'll get convoys that their goal is to slow traffic down. Uh, is, that, is that not the way this convoy works?
3: That, that's not what I saw on, on this leg. So I was out with them for a couple of hours today. Um, you know, they were going a little bit slower than the speed limit. But I mean once we got out of the city, and the cops obviously helped us and gave us a, a motorcade out of the city uh, to make sure that you know we got out efficiently and safely. Uh, and there was a lot of us, and we did we did accomplish that with sort of minimal impact on people's morning commute during rush hour. But once they get on that highway, they're going eighty, they're going hundred. So they're not crawling, you know they're not that's not the intention right now is to block anybody up or, you know, get in people's way who are sort of going about their everyday business. That's not what I saw anyways on my leg. Uh, right now they're driving, they're picking up other parts of a convoy and, you know, they're taking sort of their fight to Ottawa is, is their destination. So my understanding is that the real protest doesn't begin until they hit Parliament Hill.
1: There you go, and, and I have read reports that there are trucks coming over from the United States. And uh, is that an accurate report that uh, that that there is also movement from the United States? I
3: I can't say for sure how many trucks. I do listen in on their radio, and they definitely are getting uh, truckers radioing in, mm-hmm. saying that they're going to be saying that they're going to be coming in, and they're going to be uh, planning to cross the border and, and planning to join in i have no idea on the actual numbers though i mean uh like i said though i think ultimately it doesn't matter we've already seen that there's a lot of truckers heading there and there's a tremendous amount of support behind them right and not just about vaccine mandates uh, and uh, are you
1: is there a surprise i mean it's not organized to your point i mean it's difficult to get anybody to kind of reach back i don't get the sense that there's a whole lot of organization to it but in to your um, mind and, and from what you're hearing is it a surprise that um, it has garnered so much money and so much support so quickly? Because every time I go back to check that GoFundMe, it's up an extra like it. it the the numbers—it was up to three million this morning, or even two point six this morning. Now it's over three point five. I mean, is there a, uh, an element of surprise that this thing has started to to kind of catch fire?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that took everybody off guard, um, you know, and it does sort of show the broader amount of support that they have behind them. Uh, you know I, I didn't get the feeling that you know nobody was sitting there talking about how much money they raised last night um like i said it you know it was very uh, it was very uplifting uh but sad as well because a lot of these people are unemployed now or are facing unemployment because of these mandates but I mean nobody was sitting there you know talking about how they would raised millions of dollars
1: mm-hmm. uh
3: you know i I get the feeling that that's very much in the background. Uh, you know for for them, and uh you know they are incurring quite a bit of costs as well along the way so and administration costs too there's sure. people who are moderating their pages um you know, and doing a lot of administrative tasks and things like that. there's ten moderators just on on the radio uh, yeah. alone, right, just working on the radio portion of, of things in the radio communications so uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that everybody's you know surprised pleasantly surprised, but that was never the sort of end game, right, was to, to be funded. They were going regardless.
1: Yeah, no, it, but it does speak to the fact that it's getting a lot of support. Just, just before I let you go, because I'm going to hit um, hit the clock, Andy, uh, when they get to Ottawa, uh, how long will they stay?
3: Well, I mean, they, they say they're staying until they get a promise from Ottawa that all the mandates will be lifted. And, I mean, like I said, they, they've they got the support to do it. There was a lot of people bringing food last night, handing out food, handing out water, handing out supplies. Uh, and now they do have a lot of monetary resources at their disposal. So I do believe them when they say that, that they're going to go to Ottawa and they plan to stay there until, you know, there's, uh, there's some sort of an agreement with the government. I do think that they're going to follow through with that.
1: Well, we will certainly keep watching it, no question about it. We'll check back in with you. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving us a bit of a bird's-eye view of this, and we'll continue following it, no question about it. I hope they uh, have a lot of hotel rooms ready to go in Ottawa, because it could be a yeah. good day for the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. I'm up against the clock. Andy, thanks so much. We'll, uh, we'll chat again.
3: Okay, great. Thank you so much.
1: Take care. That is Andy. You okay. too. That's Andy Lee, Bye-bye. who's a... Uh, Known as Hannah Bananas, if you follow her on Twitter, she's following this thing and her phone obviously ringing off the hook um, with people trying to get her. And if you hear snorling in the background, that's just my dog. She's like, I'm like, would you stop making all those noises? My goodness. Hey, Alex Pearson with you on Point. Great to have you here. So I think, you know, depending on where you live in this country will likely determine your level of uh, sanity two years into this thing. I mean, if you're in BC and Alberta, where lockdowns and school closures and uh, things like restrictions have been relatively short-lived and painless, it might not seem as bad, but I can tell you that if you live in Ontario and Quebec, then, you know, it feels like you've been trapped in an apocalyptic state of fear and paralysis for forever. Well, Global News has got some polling in from Ipsos to kind of get a pulse on how we're feeling about these lockdowns, and... um how politicians handled this latest wave, and it took a while, but we seem to be finally getting a little bit fed up. Daryl Bricker is CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, as well as author of a number of books, including next. He joins us now. Good to have you, Daryl.
2: Thanks for having me on, Alex.
1: All righty. so according to the numbers you've got, our tolerance to lockdowns has dropped even further. It's now 52% say they support lockdowns. Uh, to get things like Omicron under control. But in July, if you look at that number, it was around 70%. percent i got to be honest, I was shocked when I saw how high these numbers are, but it is a drop.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then if you go back even further, it was in the 80s. So w- what's happened is the public is starting to fray on the edges, I would say, uh, uh, in terms of the consensus of how we should be dealing with the pandemic. And uh, things that were not really that controversial before are now, are now becoming quite controversial.
1: Yeah, I wonder. Um, you know, when you ask people in, let's say, Ontario and Quebec in the summer, you know, how are you feeling about lockdowns? I mean, at least in July, it felt like maybe we were we were you know putting this thing behind us. And so I think the thought of a lockdown for anybody was like you got to be crazy that we'd lock down again. And yet here we are again. And there's something about this lockdown that is a kind of universally loathe. I mean, it just seems like it's brought a lot of people to their breaking point.
2: Yeah, people are in support of these things if they feel that they're actually making progress. The problem that we've got right now is the public doesn't feel that we're making progress in terms of managing this mm-hmm. disease. They feel that it's becoming endemic and that it's not gonna go away. So that's why all of a sudden people are, and it's really happened in the last four to six weeks, Alex, where people have started to say, hold on a minute here. Is this stuff actually going to work? Because it it kind of feels like we've been in this for a a couple of years now, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better.
1: Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are starting to say, hold on a second, are we going to be doing this every year? Because, uh, you know, uh, every time the flu season comes, are these politicians going to kind of pull the lever again because it's become so easy for them to do? Was there a particular area where you polled where the, the sentiment was stronger?
2: Uh, in Alberta, I mean, definitely, people are more likely to feel that way. But uh, you know, the interesting thing on this is that it's not so much geographic. It's it's really people are all pretty fed up across the country with being locked up. And as I said before, this this sense now that we're just not making progress. Omicron has been uh, has been uh, almost like the the, the straw that's broke the camel's back. So everything from you know whether or not. Uh, uh, people think that uh, we need to make accommodations for people who haven't uh, haven't been vaccinated. You know, um, all sorts of things that are related to this, the management of this disease, are all more controversial than they were before.
1: Right, because you also polled on the issue of um, you know penalties, uh, punitive penalties for those who are not vaccinated, and surprisingly, I mean, there is a almost even divide. You've got 52% agree with some kind of tax on the unvaccinated. But then you've got 48% who disagree. So it's a very polarizing issue.
2: And and that's what really comes out of the data. What was a consensus before is no longer a consensus.
1: Interesting. No wonder we're so divided on this. Nonetheless, the other side of your polling um, talks about the leaders and their handling of this or mishandling of this latest wave, and Trudeau's support has now slipped to 49%. Um, and then you look at the premiers, they've all dipped about 5% since December. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it goes down to about 52%. But we're five months from an election in, um, in Ontario. Doug Ford's got to be looking at these numbers pretty carefully. Uh, you know, like if he delays this reopening or if there's any more closures with the schools, etc., it's political suicide for him.
2: Yeah, it really becomes difficult politically. I think the prime minister... Uh, skipped through a bit of it when he ran for an election, but he wasn't dealing with Omicron at the time. We are in this situation now. And, you know, uh, there's a sense that people are really fatigued by what's going on with Omicron. Well, it's really morphed Mm -hmm. from that, Alex, into actually being frustration. And frustration is a different type of emotion. There's an anger element that's related to that. And you're starting to see it apply to politicians.
1: Right. And, and I mean, I, I, you see these protests that have been happening all over Europe, but they're happening here in Canada. I mean, over the weekend, there were thousands of people uh, protesting in, in the streets of Toronto and all over this country. Um, it didn't get a ton of attention, but that that's not to be ignored. But you've also got these... Trucking convoys that are going across this country—they're—they've raised like three and a half million dollars. There's, you know, one number was thirty-six thousand trucks might be involved. I mean, it's astronomical numbers, but I don't even get the sense that that's about mandate va- va- vaccine mandates anymore. I get the sense that people are so fed up that they're actually just starting to mobilize.
2: Yeah, it's like I said, free-floating frustration. And I mean, you know, not even avoiding all the things that are happening out there and just looking at the numbers, I mean, 51% of the agree that we should find a way to accommodate the unvaccinated. That's not the rhetoric we're hearing out for our politicians these days. And I'm not saying what's right or wrong in terms of managing the disease, but as I said before, that base, that core consensus base of support that existed for what governments were doing in order to manage this has really started to to fracture in Canada. And we're seeing a divisiveness on this issue that we didn't see before.
1: Right. And we do have politicians uh, politicking this pandemic. And I think that's uh, pro- you know why we have seen so much anger where they're trying to, you know, you've got the prime minister who made comments about uh, the unvaccinated being racist or misogynist. You've, you've got these convoys going. I, I, I mean, what would your advice be? Not that you advise politicians, but, you know, looking at the, the kind of data that you're pulling, what would your advice be to them, um, you know, given the kind of state that people are in?
2: Uh, I think there's a there's a, a time now to start uh, developing some sort of uh, flexibility, and understanding with what people are going through, and uh, the difficulty of just being very doctrinaire and saying you know there's only one way to deal with this there's only one uh, situation that uh, that that is a reasonable way to look at how to manage this disease that that position is becoming more under fire. So I think what you're gonna see as we go forward is that politicians are gonna to have to start becoming a little bit more flexible in terms of how they deal with this. The problem on vaccines, of course, is uh, you know the, the number of people who are vaccinated in, in Canada, but just looking here at the city of Toronto, there's not that many mm. more that you can get vaccinated, yet yeah. still we're stuck inside. So what's happening now is the public is saying, you know, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I've supported you all the way down the line, and I'm still here. It's not getting better for me.
1: Which surprises me because that was the talking point for months is that vaccines are our way out of this. And yet here we are three shots in and people are saying, well, what happened? That was supposed to be our ticket out. And clearly it's not.
2: Yeah. And and we're now seeing people saying, you know, that they're more, much more reluctant to get a fourth shot. So, you know, there's diminishing returns on this, too. So uh, unless the public, unless the public feels that we're able to get back on track and find a way to safely, get our lives back uh, going again in, in some semblance of what we would recognize as a normal life. This free-floating frustration is going to find a place to descend, and that place it's going to descend to is on our politicians.
1: Yeah, and, and people looking for somewhere else to park their vote. But frankly, uh, you know, like Aero no tool. Uh, he can't answer questions. He refuses to take a position on anything. People are getting frustrated that there's no other choice. I mean, you know, people are finding themselves uh, almost like politically homeless.
2: Well, where where it's going to get particularly difficult, though, Alex, is for incumbents because people have to blame somebody for their record, and and that's where it's going to start getting difficult. I mean, Aaron O'Toole is, you know, he is Aaron O'Toole. He's not not running the government. The people who are running the actual response to what's going on, you know, are people like the Prime Minister, Premier Ford, Premier Kenney, other people around the country, uh, Premier Horrigan, Premier Legault. Who are going to be the, the they, they will be the place that people stop when they when they pass judgment if this frustration continues.
1: Fascinating time. you'll certainly have lots of uh, lots of numbers to gather over the next couple of months. no shortage of that. Daryl always appreciate your time. thanks so much. Thanks, Alex. That is uh, Daryl Bricker CEO over at Ipsos and of course an author of the book Next among many other things that he writes. I should have asked him what are you writing about next because I think post pandemic there might be a few things he could
0: broadly write about. It. We are extremely concerned uh, about uh, the Russian aggression and the uh, ongoing threat of further invasion into Ukraine. Uh, that is why we've worked with our diplomats, uh, our uh, military in place and around the world to ensure uh, that we're doing everything we can whatever eventuality comes up.
1: All right. So there's the prime minister. He was asked a lot of questions today about the situation um, evolving quickly in Ukraine. And, you know, mainly is Canada starting the evacuation of our personnel in that country? And he was very vague on that and all sorts of questions he got on that. And our allies have pulled diplomats and their families out of the country in what seems now like an imminent attack by Russia. And I think a lot of people here want to know what is Canada's role? What are we going to do? And over the weekend I couldn't help but giggle when you saw a number of liberal MPs sending out these memes saying, I stand with Ukraine. I mean, we got a country that is begging for us to send them weapons. They are surrounded by over a hundred thousand Russian troops. They do not need virtue signaling. But what can we do? I mean, do we have weapons to send? And why do we need to step up to protect Ukraine? Let us ask someone who might have a good idea of the threat we face not just Ukraine, but all of us. Major General David Frazier joining us. He is the president of Aegis 6 Corporation, but he is a former commander of NATO ground forces in southern Afghanistan. Good to have you.
0: Uh, Great to be with you, Alex.
1: So I don't think a hashtag campaign is going to cut it these days.
0: Not at all. Um, And quite frankly, that misses the mark. Uh, If I look at this situation, there's political, economic, and military, and let's talk about politics, and this is where leaders and Ministers stand up with their counterparts in the world and speak to uh, Russia about what is unacceptable. And uh, this is where we need to be talking with our allies and not just sending hashtags.
1: And you understand how NATO works uh, and the role we can play, could play, have to play. I mean, NATO seems very fractured right now. I mean, France is having its own talks with Russia right now. Um you've got Joe Biden, who came out last week and said, well, they can have a little incursion, and then came out the next day and said, well, no, I didn't mean that. And then you've got Justin Trudeau, who will not commit really to telling Canadians, you know, what can and will we do? Um, what can? I mean, we have 500 soldiers, as I understand, in Latvia, but that is part of a 1000 NATO soldier, um, you know, uh, unit that I guess has been working w- with Ukrainian military. What can Canada do? What should we be doing? I mean, we can mount sanctions and should have probably done that a while ago as Putin's got, you know, billions of dollars all over the world. But what can we do?
0: Well, you know, and I look at the, you know, you know, our finance minister, who is being very uh, hawkish about Ukraine and about Russia. And I look at our prime minister, they both can stand up and speak loudly that this is unacceptable from a Canadian perspective, uh, and not just cower back, but actually speak out and support what the President of the United States has said. Uh, go to NATO, make a statement, go to the u n make a statement, but make make a public statement about the the unacceptability of what Putin and Russia is trying to do. This is about democracy, this is about freedom. Um, Ukraine is a free nation it doesn't need to do this it may not be a partner of NATO but that doesn't matter they are a democratic state and we should support them Um, uh, if if he really wants to make a statement he goes over and meets with the president of Ukraine and stands there and says Canada will not accept any uh, incursion by Russia in sovereign Ukraine it's it's that simple if he wants to make a statement
1: And certainly a lot of people have said, you know, this is just Putin uh, saber rattling. You know, he's got, um, you know, dismal approval ratings. You know, he's got all sorts of problems that maybe he wants to distract from. That may all be well and good, but he does have an awful lot of military already amassed on three sides of the country. So it looks like there's not much for him to lose at this point, but to do whatever you can, because I think he smells weakness in in the West. My concern would be if we don't take action um, and Ukraine falls, then, what's stopping a guy like Vladimir Putin from saying the Arctic now belongs to our us because we have uh, ig- ignored the Arctic at our own peril? Uh, the, the Russians have am- amassed massive amounts of firepower in the Arctic. So, if, if they do go into um, Ukraine, what's stopping them from continuing on and taking other territories?
0: Well, I want to put it in the context that Ukraine is quite different because, it, first of all, it, it abuts against Russia. It is not part of NATO, it is a far away from Canada and from most of the NATO countries other than the 14 that have joined since uh, 97, three of which actually touch onto Russia. So I think Putin is in a position of strength to negotiate or to do what he's doing, saber-rappling uh, vis-a-vis Ukraine. Arctic will be much, much different because now you're butting up against China, you're butting up against um, all the Arctic states, including us. So, but in the Ukraine, he is, as you say, taking advantage of a weakened uh, Western leadership that has been focused on uh, COVID, the economy, um, a fractured uh, aspects within NATO, the uh, energy agreements that he has had for many years with countries like uh, mm-hmm. Germany and other European countries. So he's in a power position of power, and this is about seeing how much he can push that How much can he push his domestic agenda to show them that he is standing up to the West? And finally, how much can he actually push inside Ukraine without uh, disenfranchising Ukrainians against Russia for the mid and long term? So he's working on three levels politically.
1: Yeah. And and when I think we look, you know, to Canada and our military role around the world, um, we just have not invested in the military. Um, It's been involved in a number of scandals over the last uh, few years, which have become a major source of distraction. But the bottom line is, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that Canada on the world stage, uh, we don't punch above our weight, but we also um, really, when it comes to defending ourselves, we are not a nation that can And and correct me where I'm wrong, it doesn't seem even interested in playing a role defending itself.
0: I would say that Canada was punching at its weight, above its weight, coming out of Afghanistan. We proved Mm -hmm. to the world that we were significant contributors, and we showed what we were capable of doing, and we had a lot of voice during the time we were in Afghanistan. Since Afghanistan, it's been over a decade, uh, we've disappeared off the world stage. And our military, as wonderful as the men and women who serve are, mm-hmm. uh, they're not being taken as, as seriously as they used to be. And mm-hmm. notwithstanding what we've got in Latvia or even the trainers in Ukraine, so what? Uh, there are bigger and better forces out there. And fundamentally, uh, our military has disappeared off, off the discussion board. This brings us back to where does Canada's role internationally? And this is a political issue. It's, it's less so a military one.
1: And so in your mind, as you kind of watch things unfold um, and, and, you know, we kind of are in this holding pattern, what do you see uh, if Russia decides it's going to invade? What does this look like? Does this look like, you know, what we saw with Crimea, where we talk a big game here in NATO in the West, but nothing happens and Russia succeeds? Or do you actually see this becoming a military conflict?
0: I don't think Putin wants a military conflict where he's fighting the West, so I, but I do see Putin trying to do what he did in Crimea, to try to take it such that uh, there's nothing that the West can do. And how does he do that? Well, he's doing it right now. He's doing cyber attacks. He's doing political uh, maneuvering. He's trying to figure out how much can he push it without going into an all-out all, all out war, um, but and he's not going to do anything while everybody's tense, i.e., like today. He'll wait till he turns the, the uh, you know the the volume down a bit and probably do what he did in Crimea, and that'll be a surprise. And afterwards, what do we do? It's already done. Um, people were kind of taking a rest after the you know the ramp up or where, where we are today. So um, I don't see it happening imminently. But he is testing the waters, and if he can if he can do this without generating a war and if he can do it through information operations or through cyber means um, he'll t- he'll probably take the advantage because he's been doing this for decades
1: Do you see this as a bit of a wake-up call um, to Canada that we have to start thinking moving forward, that we have to start investing in military I mean, no one wants to go to war but the reality is we live in a different world today we've got uh, major geopolitical threats in China, Russia, other countries um, is it time that Canada starts assessing our, our role moving forward on the world stage?
0: Uh, 100%. I mean, Putin has, has brought us back to the Cold War days and we cannot ignore them. They, they went into Syria when we couldn't go into Syria. Now they're doing what they are doing in Eastern Europe. And if we don't do something here, what's going to happen going back to your earlier point about the Arctic? And yeah. there is an awful lot of resources up in the Arctic, and we better, we better be at, uh, awake because if we can't lose the Arctic from an economic point of view. And there is another factor here that all of us should be paying attention to. It's called China. And China is yeah. watching with keen interest sure. what the West does uh, vis-a-vis uh, Putin and Russia. And let us not underestimate their desire to become a world superpower. Whatever Russia does, China will come in right behind in the South China Seas vis-a-vis Taiwan and the Arctic. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and they made uh, some big moves this week in making sure that uh, Taiwan knows they're there and making sure the world knows that they are very keen on taking Taiwan, so I guess they'll wait for us to be distracted to make that move. Uh, Very much uh, appreciate you joining us and uh, giving us some of your insight from the, you know, interesting perspective that you have. Thanks so much.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: That is Major General David Fraser who has particular experience with NATO and certainly how things work on the ground and uh, gives us an interesting perspective. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point.